of crazy, crazy times. Today you guys are in for such a treat. Uh, our message today is from our friend and kind of our once a year staff member, uh, Mark Jones. Uh, Dave's brother is going to share with us today and I know you guys are going to be blessed. I want to encourage you. I know a lot of times you go in places and uh, the, the preacher or the leader, whoever says, put all your phones away, turn everything off. If you do like smartphone and social media and stuff like that, I'm going to encourage you to get it out because I'm going to promise you that in the next 30 minutes, you're going to hear some very, very tweetable stuff. You're going to hear some things that the world needs to hear. And so I want to encourage, I'm going to be sitting right down here with mine out taking notes and blowing up social media with the word of God that Mark's going to share. And so I, I want you guys to be ready for an amazing morning. Uh, as we go into this time, it's uh, offering time. Uh, the boxes are there. You guys know the drill. There's still some red envelopes out because we're still going to be uh, receiving the together offering through uh, next weekend. And we'll make a big announcement about where we are on that and how much we totaled on the uh, uh, tornado relief thing. So just as you give today, uh, be ready for that. And, of course, online is available too. You know, I was thinking yesterday on a long drive home about about the last uh, couple of years and all that's gone on, and even the last last few weeks and last few months. And, and I was thinking about because th- this week we were we were out west, and so we saw those crazy fires on on Thursday, and how the the smoke cloud was just moving, and it was it was it was scary. It made me think, you know, a lot of times the idea of dark clouds and shadows have represented evil. I remember when I was a kid growing up, there was a TV show that was on called Dark Shadows. And I, I wasn't even allowed to watch it as a kid, you know. And, and, and then I remember Frank Peretti wrote a book, This Present Darkness, which was all about this shadow that crept in over this community. And, and then we had Stranger Things and the Shadow Monster and Eminem singing about monsters under the bed. And, you know, these these shadowy things of life can really take over our lives if we let them. Think about the last couple years. We've had uh, shadows of fear, haven't we? We've had shadows of doubt. We've had shadows of misunderstanding, shadows of unbelief. It's been a shadowy time. But what we're getting ready to do is celebrate the one who took the shadows away. That even... Even David wrote about the time when we would all have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I heard an old preacher a few years ago say something that has stuck with me. And he reminded, and he's talking about Psalm 23, when David talked about the valley of the shadow of death, that there is one constant for every shadow. One constant. For there to be a shadow, there has to be light. And all through the New Testament, all through the Bible, we're told about a light that would come to the world that would remove all darkness and all shadows. A young lady from, actually who lives in Lexington, raised in Lexington, Kentucky, named Ann Wilson, wrote a song recently that she recorded that says, let me tell you about my Jesus. Light of the world. He, He makes a way where there is no way. He rises up from an empty grave. There ain't no sinner that he can't save. 
Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and His grace is free. Let my Jesus change your life. That's my prayer, is that we move into a new year, a new season, that the light overcomes the shadows that have been haunting us, and that we see a change in our world. Let's think about that as we commune together today. Father, we thank you for loving us enough to send Jesus, the light of the world, to come over, to overcome all the shadows that we have. And, and God, there have been so many shadows of, of fear and disappointment and unbelief and doubt, and just the list goes on and on and on. But God, we, we thank you that the light shines bright through Jesus. We thank you for his death but we thank you more for his resurrection and the power over death the ultimate shadow that he dispelled help us to focus on that as we commune with you during this time in jesus name amen if you haven't been with us there's communion stations all around the room uh, you can just go get your own communion thank you and I have discovered as we've gotten older and our kids have grown and moved away that the holidays have become more about just getting family back together and loving on one another and as opposed to worrying about this gift and that gift. This next song we're going to do is a new song and it talks about how we come to worship sometimes and just don't feel worthy, don't feel like we have a gift to offer the King our creator, but we have to remember that he's not only our king and creator, but he's our father. And he loves nothing more than to have his family come together and lift our hearts to him and our voices to him and our arms to him. So sing this with us if you can.
words fall short I've got nothing new How can I express All my gratitude I could sing these songs As I often do But every song must end And you never do So I throw up my hands And praise you again and again Cause all that I have is a hallelujah Hallelujah And I know it's not much I'm nothing else fit for a king Except for a heart singing Hallelujah Singing, Alleluia. 
Good morning. First of all, I think it's worth pointing out that hallelujah means praise the Lord, since that's all we got. I think it, uh, it's important that we know what we're giving to our King, and that's uh, that's what we had to share today is an hallelujah, hallelujah to the Lord. I mean, I love being here. I love coming back every year and having a chance to to see you guys, to worship with you, to, to speak and share with you. Uh, I love this church. I love your staff. Um, I love coming every Christmas so I can see how the road construction is going down at Highway 53. I'm going to give you seven more Christmases. I think it's going to be done. I feel really good about that. Uh, you guys are, are going to get there. Hey, have you heard the old phrase, last man standing wins? Or maybe let's be more inclusive, last one standing wins. From gunfights in the Old West to cage fights on cable television, from gun, from Boxing matches, tug of war, it could be a dance competition, it, it, it might be a spelling bee. Maybe games that you played when you were a kid. The last one standing is the one who wins. If you're still on your feet, you're still in the game. If you're still standing, you're still fighting. I want to read some verses to you from Ephesians chapter 6, and I want you to pay careful attention to how often the Apostle Paul tells us to stand. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. So stand firm then, and then he goes on to talk about how we do that. Did you notice he said, take your stand? Stand your ground, stand firm, after you've done everything, stand. And then there are other key words, things like the Lord's mighty power, the full armor of God, the spiritual forces of evil, our struggle in the day of evil. Do you know what this sounds like to me? It sounds like Paul is declaring war. That as followers of Jesus, there's this conflict going on. There's this combat all around us. And we have to decide how we're going to engage. Are we going to stand? Or are we going to just roll over and give up? See, we can't avoid the battle. And so we have to decide if we're going to surrender or if we're going to suit up and get in the game. I hope this doesn't come as a surprise to you. I hope that you're not shocked by the announcement that we are involved in a war. And listen, it's not a race war. It's not a culture war. It's not a cold war. It's not a war on drugs or a war on crime or a war on terror. It is a spiritual war. And it really should come as no surprise to us. Uh, Imagine a kid sitting down to dinner one night and his mom says, did anything happen at school today? And he says, it sure did. He said, I was attacked. I was going in one direction. I'm minding my own business. Suddenly this group of guys, man, there must have been 11 of them. They came from the opposite direction and they pounded me. One guy pushed me, another guy shoved me. And then when I was on the ground, they all just jumped on top of me. It was terrible. Now, if that happened during school, mom was immediately on the phone to the principal saying, what's going on down there? What's this gang of of thugs doing attacking my son? But if it happens after school... At football practice, mom might have to explain, honey, 
That's what happens to running backs. Like when you've got the ball, there's going to be some guys who want to knock you down. That's just what you signed up for. And friends, as followers of Jesus, we are at war. That's what we signed up for. And it should not be a shock to us. It should not come as a surprise. As we launch into 2022 and all the unknowns that lie before us out there, we've got to understand that we are fighting a battle for the hearts and the minds of the next generation. We are not at war with other churches. We are not at war with other religions. We're not at war with gay activists or with left-wing fanatics, not with socialists or Antifa, not with Republicans or Democrats. It is a spiritual war. Listen to what Paul says in verse 12. Again, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the, the, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's not flesh and blood. Our enemy is the devil. It's not an army that we can see and touch. It's rulers, authorities, and powers of darkness. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, now let's not give Satan too much credit, okay? He's not all powerful like God. He can't be everywhere at once like God can. He doesn't know everything like God does. When we talk about the devil tempting us or attacking us, we don't mean Satan himself does that because he's limited by time and by space. Sure, he's a spiritual being, but he's not capable of attacking all of us at once in the same way that God is capable of protecting us all at once. You think about when we say that Adolf Hitler killed six million Jews during World War II, we don't mean that the one man Hitler killed all those people. We mean that his army of Nazis did that. And when we say that Satan is our enemy, that he is attacking us, that he's trying to defeat us, what we mean is that he and his army of demons are our enemy. Satan can't be everywhere at once. He can't cause all that trouble by himself. But you know, in our culture, I see a fascinating reality, somewhat frightening reality, when it comes to the devil and to demonic activity. In many ways, there's a fascination with this in America today. Some of you are old enough to remember movies like The Exorcist, The Omen, Rosemary's Baby. They kind of fed this attraction of the occult. Later on, it was The Conjuring, The Crow, The Devil's Advocate. Truthfully, I haven't seen those movies, but I understand the gist of them. That evil is present in the world and that it's trying to destroy all that's good. But here's the problem. While while satanic power and demonic activity sell movie tickets, they draw a crowd, many people believe that those things are right where they belong in the movies. That it's all fiction, it's the boogeyman, it's ghost stories around the campfire, but there's really nothing to it. We made Satan a guy in a red suit with a pitchfork and a bifurcated tail, that's a word you don't get to use very often, and we have reduced our enemy to a cartoon. And yet, friends, the opposite is often true in other countries. And you think about it. Why does demonic possession seem more prevalent in underdeveloped countries uh, around the world? I've talked to missionaries in Haiti, India, Africa, Sri Lanka, and they deal with demonic activity and with demon possession on a regular basis. And I have a theory about this. 
I think it's because our enemy is really, really smart. That Satan understands that there is an openness to voodoo and to evil spirits and to what we might call black magic in many cultures. And so he plays to people's fear. And he is overt in places like that. He's more aggressive in those places because it works to his advantage. At the same time here in America, it is to his advantage to be covert, to fly under the radar. He's more effective as a comic book character or a creature in a horror movie where he will just simply not be taken seriously. Now, I'm not saying that people in America are never possessed by Satan anymore. My wife, Gail, and I helped plant a church in South Carolina, and we met a woman there named Mandy. That's not her real name. It's the name she gave me when I first met her. Mandy had been subjected to horrible abuse as a child. She later got involved in satanic rituals and demonic activity as a young adult. And when I met her, she was the most broken, the most desperate and frightening person that I've ever met. The first several times that I prayed with her, A voice came out of her that said, she belongs to me. When I baptized her, she bared her teeth at me. She shrieked and thrashed around in the water. And when she came up out of the water, she collapsed and we had to pull her out of the pool. It was like something out of a movie. I'm not kidding. It was unbelievable. But man, I wish you could see her today. I wish you could know her today. And she loves the Lord. And she is married to a godly man. And she has been made new through Christ. But I'm telling you, she understands as well as anybody I've ever met that Satan is no joke. And that we have an enemy who is real. Friends, we are involved in a war. Jesus says that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And I don't know why we would ignore the words of our Lord. Just because Satan is hidden does not mean he's not real. And just because he is subtle does not mean that he's not there. Paul says here that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle, the Greek word for struggle here is a word that was used for wrestling. It's up close. It's personal. It's intense. I watched a little bit of wrestling back during the Olympics in the fall. And I got to be honest with you. I don't understand the appeal. I've never wanted to be that close to a sweaty man in my life. I, I just don't get it. I'm just being honest. But Ephesians here uses this word. And, and it's not like we think of wrestling with referees and with rules. It's not WWE or MMA or ultimate cage fighting or any of that kind of stuff. This is hand-to-hand combat. This is life or death engagement. But Paul says it's not with people. We might disagree with people. Sometimes we have to stand up against people who are against everything that we stand for. But they are not the enemy. They're not. Our ultimate battle is with the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. How do you fight back against that? Well, notice that Paul starts this section of scripture by saying in verse 10 that we are to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. See, we keep talking about what the battle's not. It's not missiles and guns. It's not about a breakdown in culture. It's not just even about rampant immorality. It's not against people who disagree with us. It's not a battle that we fight by our own power. 
At the outset, Paul says, be strong in his mighty power. His, the Lord's mighty power. We come to Christ, we repent of our sins, we're baptized, and we are choosing sides in a war. We're signing up to be part of a team. We are agreeing to fight alongside him. Listen, Jesus is the guy you want on your team, right? Have you seen those T-Mobile commercials where um, they're about bad cell phone reception? There's several different ones, but one shows two pro baseball players. There's Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, and, and they're talking on the phone, and Judge says that when he's up to bat, he likes to imagine his days back in Little League when he could hit uh, home runs. He was so successful. But there's a bad signal, and so Stanton thinks that Judge says that to build confidence, he goes and bats against Little League players. So the last scene of the commercial shows Stanton, this major league baseball player, and he is smashing home runs against some 10-year-old pitcher. And what makes the commercial funny, or at least ridiculous, is that he's so good, and this kid can't possibly compete against that. We have access to the God of the universe. Like we get to choose sides and we can choose the Lord of heaven and earth. We can align ourselves with ultimate power. Scripture says that Jesus gives us everything we need. Not just to survive, but to prevail. You choose his side. It's like having a major league baseball player on your team against a bunch of little league kids. Be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power. It doesn't mean the battle is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that we won't get wounded, maybe even killed. But ultimately, we win. We choose him. And Paul says, okay, now that you're in, put on the full armor of God. So you can stand your ground. Look at verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, look, most of Paul's audience were not soldiers, okay, but they were familiar with soldiers. They had been under Roman occupation for as long as most of them could remember. So Paul chose a metaphor that they were all familiar with. They could understand the soldiers have to be prepared to go into battle. And we can get that too. Soldiers, if they're deployed, they've got to have the proper equipment if they expect to win. Knights of old wore suits of armor. I mean, we think about policemen today who have bulletproof vests and firefighters who wear protective gear. I mean, heck, you don't even play competitive football without a helmet and pads, right? Because if you're going to fight, if you're going to compete, you've got to suit up. And so Paul says, if we're going to be in this fight together, we've got to suit up. And he talks about armor that involves truth and righteousness and the gospel and faith and salvation. And you think about those five things, truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation. Those are gifts that he makes available to us. They are gifts that we can accept or they're gifts that we can reject. See, the armor is optional, but the conflict is not. We're in the conflict. We just get to decide if we want the armor or not. We can suit up to stand firm. If you don't do that, you won't do that. Are are, are you getting what I'm saying? Man, this is a war. 
You can join and fight or you can get caught in the crossfire. But either way, you can't avoid it. So we can either be prepared or unprepared. We can be guarded or unguarded. We can be vulnerable or we can be invincible. It's about the decisions that we make. And it's about how we choose to engage. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth. Man, to a Roman soldier, that was the first piece of armor that went over the tunic. It gathered the tunic up to keep it held in place. But much more than that, you secured the breastplate to the belt. The scabbard for the sword was on the belt. The soldier's belt, listen, don't miss this. The soldier's belt secured everything else. The belt is what secured the rest of the armor. And so Paul says it's the belt of truth. You know why? Because truth is what secures everything else in our lives. There's a crazy mindset going around today. It's been around for several decades now. The truth is relative. The truth is up for grabs. You can have your truth. I can have my truth. It's all equally true, even if it's totally opposite of one another, right? Now, I don't know how to say this as tactfully as I can, but that is a load of manure, all right? And there are other more colorful colorful words that come to mind. But I'm telling you, truth is true or it's not true, but you can't just have it any way you want it. If we're lost in the desert and you say that way's north and you say that way's north and you say, no, 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 north's over there, everybody can't be right. Why don't we listen to the guy with the compass? If a L basketball player says that two plus two equals three, and a UK basketball player says two plus two equals five, maybe we need to find the chess team and find out, you know, what, what is the, the right answer? Because there's only one right answer. Truth is truth. Paul says back in Ephesians 4.21, he talks about the truth of Jesus. Jesus' truth is our ultimate reality. And that is the belt that holds it all together. Now, Paul goes on to say that there's a breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of a Roman soldier was a protective piece of armor that kind of covered things from his neck to his thighs. And it was all about protecting the vital organs, especially the heart. You know how powerful that is, right? What does it say in Proverbs 4.23? Guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. And so the Old Testament says to guard your heart. The New Testament says how it says that we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is right living. It's making right decisions. It's living a life of integrity, a a life of honor. The old English word for righteousness was literally right wiseness because it was about living wisely. If we want to guard our hearts, It's by making wise decisions. It's by choosing a wise path. And that protects us in our battle. But what's the next thing he talks about? The shoes of the gospel. Roman soldiers were known for hobnailed shoes. And it was a big deal. Because it gave them a steady foundation on rough ground. There were nails sticking out of the bottom of the shoes. So that they could have traction and a solid grip. A soldier could be well armed. Well protected, but man, if he falls down while he's charging the gate, he's going to get run over. If he slips and stumbles over the side of a mountain, it doesn't matter how much armor he's wearing. And so that firm base, that stable foundation is so pivotal. And Paul talks about the shoes of the gospel, that the good news of Jesus is the foundation upon which we stand. Listen, it's the foundation upon which we win and we will. 
Verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield of faith deflects Satan's attacks. Now, this was not a small round shield like Captain America or Wonder Woman carry, okay? The Roman soldier carried a shield that could cover most of their body. It stopped arrows, but it also became a wall that they could use to push the enemy back. And when we are firmly grounded in what we believe, when we cling to our faith, when life gets tough, our faith protects us from the attacks of the devil. When Satan is trying to tempt us or deceive us or accuse us or discourage us or destroy us, our faith is what protects us. We know what we believe. We choose to believe. We determine to believe. Which brings us to the helmet of salvation. That's verse 17. He says, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet protects our head and therefore it protects our brain. Our minds need protecting. And so the helmet of salvation does that. Romans 12, 2 says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, perfect will. The goal of believers in Christ, of followers of Jesus, is to have a new mind. Rather than conforming to the morals and the attitudes and the perspectives of our our culture today, we embrace the morals and the attitudes and the philosophies of God. We receive the salvation that God promises. We start to think differently. Now, it doesn't happen all at once. It's a life journey. But that's the goal, to have a new mind in Christ. And how do we develop that? By the sword of the spirit, by the word of God. God's word shapes our thinking. God's word redefines our lives. It's the only offensive weapon that we have as soldiers. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus quoted scripture every time to defeat him. Every time. God's word helps us achieve our victory. It's one reason that I'm really excited about what we're going to be doing together over the next 21 days. Your church here, our church, uh, also Fairdale Christian Church, maybe some others. We're going to do a 21-day season of Scripture, prayer, and fasting. It starts tomorrow. There are booklets about that, I believe, here. Is that right, Dave? Okay. Our church, again, is going to be involved with that as well. What it gives us a chance to do is to dig into God's Word, to allow His Word to penetrate us. And if we're going to win this war, we've got to understand our weapon. I mean, what a joke to have a weapon and not know how to use it. And yet that's the reality, I'm afraid, for many of us. Look, God is at work today. Praise the Lord, he is. But you know what? Satan is at work too. Angels are watching over us, yes. But demons are working to destroy us. And just because Satan is hidden does not mean he's not real. And just because he's defeated does not mean that he's dead. He's going to do everything in his power to undermine the work of God in the world. I don't know how you could watch the news today and question whether there's an enemy who wants to destroy us. And I'm not talking about destroying our American way of life. I'm talking about destroying hope and destroying love and destroying our eternal destiny. Satan promises pleasure and he delivers pain. He offers fulfillment, and instead what he gives is despair. 
He sells meaning and purpose. But what comes is misery and death. So we have to be strong in the Lord. We have to be relying on his mighty power. Listen again to these verses. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Here's my bottom line this morning. You guys, most of you know, I like to have a bottom line. You've probably already written it down because I said it earlier and it was so profound. I'm sure you didn't miss it, but just in case. If you're still on your feet, you're still in the fight. If you're still on your feet, you're still in the fight. As long as you're still standing, you've got some fight left in you. And so friends, be strong in the Lord. Don't give up. Stand your ground. Put on the armor of God. After you've done everything, stand. After you have done everything, stand. I think that means when you come down to the end of your life, make sure you're still on your feet. No matter what's happening to your body, you spiritually be on your feet. You fight to the finish. You keep punching until that last bell. You don't stop running until you cross the finish line. After you've done everything, stand. Because if you're still on your feet, you're still in the fight. And the beauty of all of this is if you stumble and fall, if you lose your way, if you rebel against God, if you fall off the wagon, if you get tired and you sit down for a while, maybe maybe you just fall on your face. Look, he has grace. We trust his grace. But get back up. Keep standing. Be strong in the Lord. Keep fighting because he will help you win. You know, when I think about standing firm against opposition, somebody that comes to mind to me immediately is my grandfather-in-law, my wife Gail's granddad, R.C. Foster. Now, I never met R.C. He died long before Gail and I met. But he was one of the founders of the college where Gail and I went. There was a building on campus called Foster Hall, named after her grandfather and her father, Lewis. And I knew that R.C. wrote the textbook for the Gospels class that I took. He was a hero in the Christian church. And because of the scholarly circles that he was moving in, R.C. went to Harvard to get his Ph.D. Now, back in the 1920s, Harvard was already known to be a very liberal college when it came to theology. But a degree from Harvard carried a lot of weight. And so with his conservative beliefs in God and the Bible, R.C. headed off to Harvard. And man, he worked hard there. He maintained an A-plus average during all his doctoral studies at Harvard. He was a brilliant scholar. Now, to get a Ph.D. at Harvard, you have to take oral exams. That's where all the professors kind of sit around and grill you with questions about all the things that you've learned along the way. I've heard that oral exams are about as stressful as it gets when it comes to higher education. Only when the professors met with R.C., this young man that had very conservative views theologically, they really didn't ask him questions about what he studied. They didn't ask about what he learned. They asked him questions about what he believed. And he did not give them the answers that they wanted to hear. He gave them answers that were born out of a strong conviction and out of deep faith. 
He gave them answers that came from the armor of truth and righteousness and the gospel and faith and salvation. He wielded the sword of the Spirit very well. And when his oral exams were over, they denied his doctorate. They withheld his title of Dr. Foster that he had so clearly earned. Now, by the time Gail's dad, Lewis, attended Harvard, I don't think the professors could have gotten away with withholding a doctorate for somebody of that caliber. But still, even for her dad, every doctoral candidate in New Testament studies was supposed to get to preach in chapel at Harvard during their final term. And they kept changing his date around until they finally graduated him out of there, never having allowed him to speak in chapel because they didn't want to hear what he had to say. Because they knew what he would say. Put on the full armor of God. So that you may be able to stand your ground. That after you've done everything. Stand. Friends, if you're still on your feet, you're still in the fight. And if you're not on your feet right now, God wants to help you back up. Because he needs you in the fight. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite you to repeat some phrases with me. You don't have to do this, but I'm just going to invite you to. Would you say, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world? Let's do that again. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. God did not give me a spirit of fear. He gave me a spirit of power. I am strong in the Lord. I will daily put on the armor of God. I will stand my ground. After I have done everything, I will stand. With God's help, I will stand my ground. Friends, if you're still on your feet, you're still in the fight. My prayer for 2022 is it will be our year to stand. Let's pray. Father, we believe that you have called us to be your people. That you have called us, God, to walk with you, to live for you, and to engage the enemy. But God, we get so mixed up sometimes, we think the enemy is the person who lives next door. We think the enemy is that person who believes so differently than we do. We think the enemy is that person who follows a different religion. God, remind us that those people aren't enemies. Those are the people you came to die for. Our struggles against, not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And there are some of us today who've been fighting so long and been beat up so much we're not sure we can stand much longer but God I believe that through your power 
through your Holy Spirit, through your armor of protection and the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that you can rejuvenate us, that you can revive us, that you can help us to stand. God, may we live lives like that, trusting in your power so that someday we can hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Look, there's a decision room over this way. And uh, if you need to talk to somebody today, if you need to pray with somebody today, if you need to help sort out what your next step is with the Lord, you're invited to go and talk with someone right now as we stand together. Let's sing. fun uh, this next month as we get ready to go to war. Uh, the booklets that Mark mentioned, you should have received at least one uh, per couple on your way in. If you want to share it, great. If you want your own, so grab one. If we run out, we'll make more. It's a 21-day journey that starts tomorrow. And each day, uh, there is a scripture, there is a prayer, and there is a prompt for a different type of fasting every day. Maybe from a meal, maybe from your phone, maybe from uh, being out in public and just uh, being quiet for a day. So Mark has written that for, as he mentioned, for several churches that we are partnering with and doing together. So get one of those and take it home because it starts tomorrow. Uh, and then I'll be preaching uh, three messages to go along with that whole series over the next uh, three following weeks. Wednesday night stuff starts back up this week. Midweek stuff does. Uh, there's a new women's stuff. That's starting uh, that will be in the Berean room uh, in a month. Financial Peace University will start. Uh, it will be in the other seminar room over here. There's lots of small groups, community recovery in here in the main room. And so there's a ton of stuff all over youth program starting back up this Wednesday night. Man, I'm glad you guys were here today. It's going to be an awesome year. And so until we get together again, let's get out of here and love God, love people, and change the world. We'll see you guys.